0: Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Shmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Peter Constantine. Peter is a literary translator and editor, and the director of the Literary Translation Program at the University of Connecticut. His recent translations include The Essential Writings of Rousseau, The Essential Writings of Machiavelli, and works by Tolstoy, Gogol, and Voltaire. His translation of the complete works of Isaac Babel received the Koret Jewish Literature Award and a National Jewish Book Award citation. A Guggenheim Fellow, he was awarded the Penn Translation Prize for Six Early Stories by Thomas Mann and the National Translation Award for the Undiscovered Chekhov. Peter has been a fellow at the Coleman Center for Scholars and Writers at the New York Public Library and a Berlin Prize Fellow at the American Academy in Berlin. Today's episode of The Schmooze is presented as part of the 2022 Yiddish Book Center's Great Jewish Books Club. In conversation with Peter Constantine, we'll be talking about the book club's first selection of 2022, Red Cavalry by Isaac Babel. Peter is the translator of the W.W. W. Norton & Company edition of Red Cavalry. Welcome, Peter.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation
0: i um, delighted you can join us. Um, as I mentioned, Red Cavalry is the first of our six selections for the Great Jewish Books Club this year, and an interesting one. So we're eager to get you on as people begin to read the book and get some of your thoughts. And um, Peter, when I initially reached out to you, we had a brief conversation. And um, I spoke to you about your translation of Red Cavalry being the first of our six selections. And I mentioned to you that the book club features work in translation, primarily translations from the original Yiddish. Red Cavalry is translated from Russian. And I had mentioned to you that a few folks had asked why a Russian work was selected. And I wonder if maybe we'll start this conversation by asking if you'll share a few thoughts um, and you know why it's not written in Yiddish. As you said, it was infused with Yiddishkeit. So, if you'll elaborate, that would be great.
1: Uh, yes, well, for so for Isaac B- Babel, um uh Dimamelosha was uh, his mother tongue was Yiddish, but he was uh very much also a, a Russian personality, uh Russian writer. Uh Russian as in a deep connection to the Russian language. Uh so we see that uh In reading the Red Cavalry stories, I think readers will find the this dichotomy of Yiddishkeit on one side, but also very much of a Russian personality and also very much of a a new Soviet personality so those three aspects were very, very important and uh, you will see them struggling and fighting one another uh the the idea of the assimilated jew and and uh w- we see sometimes problematic uh um the narrator has a problematic uh um stance to, toward uh, the shtetl culture that he comes across but then also is confronted not only with with uh the reality of the shtetl culture and the reality of the pogroms and the problems that 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 are there, but also with his own issue and his own question, why why do I have an issue why am I posing as a Russian maybe, why am I perceived as a Russian, so all of these questions which. Scholars are still looking into, and in fact, it will be a fascinating topic uh, for, for the, uh, the the book club as it's being read to discuss and think about that. Uh, maybe you guys might come up with an answer. Uh, I'd be interested, in fact, uh, on, on views of of, of of this reading, you know, a cold reading of of, of these interesting uh, interplays.
0: It's such an interesting. Um consideration, as you say, and, and something that will lead to a lot of discussion, I'm sure. And a little bit by way of background, I mean, I think you present Babo as somebody who kind of had a foot on either side of Yiddish culture, um, uh, deep tradition, some of the older writers. He translated Sholem Aleichem into Russian, correct? Uh,
1: it, it is thought that that, that he did. Um there is a, a, a book of Shalom Alechem stories that was published, uh, uh, the, um, actually I'm not exactly sure when, uh, early in the 20th century, uh, I think before before he, he put pen to paper for the Red Cavalry stories. Um, now it wasn't attributed, and we might find that a lot happening in America too, where we read a, a translation of, of maybe Chekhov or, or Dostoevsky, and it, an old translation from that time. It's not said who who translated it. So two things there are that that it's not actually signed by him, but we believe it is. In other words, the translation is not signed by him, but we believe it is his. Also, by the way, the introduction is written; it's very Barbelian. So, scholars scholars think so. But we do know that uh, that he he did have a, a connection uh, when he write in the Odessa stories. We see his his grandmother speaking Russian and making the mistakes that a Yiddish speaker would make. One one feels that that the language is very much present there.
0: So. Without giving too much away today in our conversation, without having to do spoiler alerts or what have you, because um, many of the people listening have not yet read the work, I'd like to still ask you if you would sort of talk broadly about the collection of stories, which some of us come to thinking it's a novel, um, but the background of how these pieces came together and maybe a little bit about how they reflect Babel's life at the time and and you know what, possessed him to write them.
1: Yeah, so when when Babel was ni- was uh, 26 years old uh, in 1920, uh, he was assigned to the first uh, cavalry army in the uh, Polish Soviet war. So if we if we try to read these stories in context, uh, think about it, the revolutions just happened two years before, uh, in other words, 1917, 1918, and all the problems in the Soviet Union that followed. Um, and this was the first campaign in 1920 to bring communism to the world. Uh, and uh, what was done was that the, the Cavalries and the armies rode out, rode out into Polish territories. Um, so what we call today, the Polish Soviet war. So one thing that, uh, that in preparation of reading these, these, um, these uh, the story cycle or these stories would be to think a little bit about, about that time and uh, maybe just Google the Polish-Soviet war and, and see what it's all about, because there are a lot of answers just in, in that as to what was going on. Um, one thing that, uh, that I would also say I find fascinating and the, the readers might find fascinating is reading this in context, think again, 1920, it is very, very outspoken. And uh, it is in a sense shocking when you read these stories that the brutality also, the brutality of the Soviet army that is, is described there. You would not find that in later writing uh, as the Soviet Union became more of what we now think of the Soviet Union as, 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 a, as an authoritarian state. Um, at the time, 1920, it was a time of great, uh, of great freedom. The, the, uh, the Tsarist censor had fallen so the, the censorship that writers like Chekhov and before M. Dostoevsky, but, but all, all the writers of the time that they had faced, uh, there was a sudden opening and you could, well, the feeling in the air was that you could write anything. Um, many authors then paid as Stalin took over. Uh, so the stories are set in 1920 in the Polish-Soviet war, but uh, were published in 1926. And that is also significant if you think about that. It's right after the 14th uh, Party Congress in the Soviet Union, where Stalin's cult of personality was about to begin. So the book comes out, Stalin is is in power. And uh, as you read, you will also note some, perhaps some familiar names like Semyon Budyani. Sometimes we call him Budani, because that's how it's written, but Budyani is is pretty much the accepted uh, pronunciation and spelling now too. Uh, Timoshenko. Uh, these characters don't come out very well in in these in 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 the book. We we see them making mistakes. Um, Semyon Budyonny, uh who came from a from a, a peasant background, uh, from the Don Cossack region, had trouble speaking proper Russian. So so. The speech is, is almost ridiculous. Now, Ulyanov became one of the most powerful men in the Soviet Union at the side of Stalin. Same with Timoshenko. Same with Voroshilov. Many of these people. So, all I can say is, did, my question: I mean, did Babel survive this? This book? Um, um, I'm sure it didn't help when 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 in, uh, when he was. Um, executed uh, along with with the the many other uh, authors uh, at the end of the the 1930s into 1940 so so it it is a fateful book in that sense Um, but I must say he was also one of the most powerful writers at the time he was a a powerhouse and could get away with things that that are surprising uh, throughout the the um the 1920s, it got a little bit harder for him in the 1930s until he completely fell out of of grace with the Stalinist regime. So that's a little bit of, of background. Um, something else I would like to say, actually, you mentioned uh, that people think of it as a novel, and that that that's I'm glad that you said that because people do and people don't. We actually can't quite figure out what it is, but it does have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We also know that Isaac Babel considered these stories which are all bite sized very small very powerful uh i think they're reading experiences that 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 you would have in one fell swoop in other words you 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 start you read and it's just some of them are just two or three pages a little bit less a little bit more um each each uh, uh, a a unit in itself but all linked so are they linked stories um i mean he he uh, he himself, we know, actually thought of them as a whole. We know that from letters that he wrote. I mean, he, um, he complained to, 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 um, to friends in, in letters that we have. I mean, he, he, ref- he says that, oh, you know, he needed money. So he published some of them and he'll say, you know, <speaking Spanish> which means, you know, few grimy or, or sort of um, foul little pieces. And then he says, because foul, because they were pieces and not a whole. Like he didn't want them to appear in literary magazines, this story and that story. He wanted, he felt that that didn't, didn't work out. So as you read, do think that you're reading a novel is my personal suggestion.
0: It. I found it interesting that um, as you went from story to story, might or piece to piece, um, you might lose a thread but suddenly it appears in the most minute way in something that, that happens in, you know, a story that may be three, four, five, whatever later, there's, there's some aspect of something that, that reappears, or at least I found that not, not all the way through, but in places. And it was interesting. Um, You mentioned again in a, preliminary conversation that you and I had, um, that he pushed the limits, he recast language, you said. I wonder if you could elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Yes, one of the things that that really surprised readers at the time, and also subsequently uh, Russian readers, is the fact that he, he was so creative in his writing. Uh, his, so not only in the themes, where, where he would touch on things that hadn't been seen before but also in the language uh, i want to say something very quickly about russian literature i mean those uh, you know readers who have read uh, Chekhov short stories um uh, um gogol um, will see this this exuberance and this creativity but one of the things that that these authors had also developed was sidestepping the censor because everything that that published had to be passed by the censor and and there were many things you couldn't touch on, and so they they became master avoiders let's say in their writing um, so a new generation like like barbels that 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 didn't have the censor went in the opposite direction um, I mean there were still considerations i don't want uh, in a sense i'm simplifying things but in fact, if you do want to read around these stories, if you look at his Saint Petersburg reports from Saint Petersburg, which are, are terrible, terrible um, depictions of of what's going of, of, of what's happening in Saint Petersburg, right or Piet- Petrograd at this point, maybe right after the the revolution. So it's not like oh how how brilliant how wonderful everything is. He's not uh, he's not a propagandist um for the for 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 the party and for the new regime for the new nation uh, he he is saying it as it is so okay that is that that is one thing now as far as as the language is concerned well from a technical standpoint you was as you read you might find strange juxtapositions of adjectives and nouns um um uh, i can't think of of anything of of hand like from the from the cavalry stories but I, one thing that, that that has been discussed a lot in the press was uh naively corseted for instance like a woman who was naively corseted now what can that be but uh, for me that is quite i mean that's what it says in russian um uh some 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 um uh, cr- critics found that really really interesting others felt that hey, peter constantine is uh, you, you know russian is taking over learn some english you know we can't say that in english um, so but i i i find things things like like that which you will come across uh, just look at them and see how they how they they fit within what he's saying like how he's saying it, it is unusual uh, that in in previous translations, often those things were ironed out. Like you can't really say that. Yeah, but you know what? You can't really say that in Russian either. Like you can't say "naively corset." I mean, it's what does that mean? You know. Uh, but he's an author. He takes he takes risks, um, and uh, there we go. Uh, the other thing is with with um, dialogue. Now, when when uh, Budioni, who is uh, who is uh, you know the, one of the generals and the um, in, in charge, let's say in in these stories. When he speaks, you'll be surprised. Um, and uh, be- because you can't talk that way, so I had a choice as a translator to iron it out and correct it. But then again. His sentences do start in the present and end, end in, in in the past, or let's say they start they start more often than not. Uh, Bujani seems to have had trouble uh, with um, plurals and um, and um, in other words, what one, one thing would become two or three by the time he ended the. So there was just a confusion. Um, I think those are interesting elements, and and I kept them.
0: Um, I was. I was reaching to see because there were examples that I found that I had, um, sort of noted and I'm not finding my little annotated notes at the moment um, that speak to that. And it is fascinating. He has an amazing way of writing. Um, I kind of felt like it was very, um, am I allowed to say trippy um, in, in the way that he writes? It's so poetic. It's so visual. And yet it's such a unique voice you're kind of like in his head
1: oh yes yes and and there is a sort of exuberance there and and this freedom however also we know that he was very very careful that every th- th- these are not errors everything was written and rewritten and rethought and re-edited he self-edited very carefully um and um with many many drafts uh, of works. so this exuberance really is, comes out of careful, careful writing.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's evident that not a word goes down without it being so intentional. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's brilliant in that regard. And I'm curious to ask you um, how it was received when it came out and where he fits into sort of his contemporaries. Uh
1: when it came out you mean in 1926 yeah yeah so uh well there was nothing like it people didn't know what hit them so it 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 was a remarkable bestseller it was uh, translated uh uh into French into other languages he became a became a world star right away um if he had political troubles at home that world stardom i think probably helped as well like keep him secure and 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 keep a certain status we saw that with other authors as well um such as pasternak for instance um uh who also had real troubles real real troubles at home and 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 was constantly in danger but world stardom put them in in, in these people into, into into certain well it was like a, a security um so, the uh, the reception at the time, what people p- people were amazed and delighted at the writing because this was a new new a new literary voice that that they couldn't get enough of. One thing. Uh, second thing is it opened the eyes to to the idea of world revolution and let us go out and conquer the world and bring communism uh, to Poland, then to Europe. America, Africa, the world, and then world communism. So, um, so the, the the brutality of these campaigns, which which are are evident in these stories, made a big, big impression. Of course, uh, the powers that be and the people who who were shown for what they were or ridiculed, whichever way one might want to say that, in this book, were of course not pleased. That was not what they wanted to to the glorious campaign or let's say at least the glorious riding out uh, to be described the way it was. So the, the, his book of short stories, uh, the red cavalry was very, very, very influential in, in creating uh, an impression of the situation in creating an impression of, of the early years, the chaos and the problems of of the Soviet union in its first years. Um, And um, and well, and in general, yes, just just uh just saying it as it is, uh, we're not just heroes marching out to war. you know we 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 can be quite brutal. Uh, look at the pogroms, look at the rapes, look at all those things. So, I hope I'm not being too direct in in describing uh, in describing, as as we said, we don't want to give anything away. There is not just what I'm what what I've just described. There are so many other elements to these stories, but the sudden violence that the, the very sudden violence in these stories that comes up from time to time is is quite shattering. And he's a master of that. You don't expect it; it suddenly hits you, and, and that's also something that's fascinating.
0: Um, I agree, and I don't think you're giving away too much. I think. In some I mean, I think it's very helpful to hear this um, as a reader, and it also um, it it lent itself to helping me sort of like get inside some of these scenes. Um, I I read a quote of yours, Peter, um, if I may. I've always been interested in language in all its aspects. Working with master linguists such as Thomas Mann, Chekhov, Stav and Babel has been particularly rewarding for me since these writers push language to an extreme and the translator has to vigorously mold the translation in order to try to recreate their effects. So what what were the challenges i have to ask of um i imagine they were many in terms of translating this work uh,
1: y- yes actually uh his his creativity in in language that that was probably the big challenge um i don't quite remember saying that uh, although i recognize oh. no <laughs> i mean I, I know i said it but i'm i'm trying to remember where i said it but uh but now what i would say would be that that unlike Anton Chekhov, um, who who sort of takes you and you fly with Anton Chekhov, in the in the, particularly in the in the the early comic comical funny funny stories, um, not funny comical, um, uh, that uh, that here it's very different. Now I was very lucky with Isaac Babel as well because I had two Russian editors. Um, and particularly uh, helpful was aneta greenlee in fact who we went word by word because because i just also wanted to be sure to sort of get uh, um you know the uh, an opinion as, as in what what is what is what is still allowed and what is not allowed in russian anymore like where is it like well beyond what it can be just to be able to gauge that 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 aspect um because an easier way of translation is is to iron out, but I I think that is not, and many people do take that approach uh, when, um, to a larger or lesser degree, and, and I think that that's it's understandable in some ways because you're always held responsible um, if if something seems seems very 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 strange. Now, if you're the author. Isaac Babel can be as strange as he'd like to be. His name's on there, he's writing in his language. But in the translation, uh, you, you need to, to be a little bit careful there, because you, you can't ultimately say, Well, I'm sorry, he said that. So I'm I'm just I'm just doing it. You are responsible. So so that was the hardest thing there, like keep keeping the whole thing um like like recreating what I see, what I heard in his. In his original style, and then, of course, also getting um, getting the the Russian editors the objective, um, um, well, the input um, that was that was good. Another minor point that that you will come across is that there's a lot of new Soviet language. Actually, Babel plays with that as well, where people use use soviet uh, terminology like uh, uh, you know the brigade of dot 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 or something like that and that people misuse it because it's all very new these neologisms that came into soviet um the komsomol and 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 that that so that that it, he either uses it as a description of what's going on and who he's meeting and what what meetings are happening, but also within speech where, where people misuse um, misuse these the terminology.
0: It's maybe a very odd question to ask you, but I will ask it. Um, if it, I know for a translator, it must be so hard not to have the writer to consult with. And if you had the opportunity to sit down with him over dinner and discuss this, what would you want to ask him?
1: Well, uh, that, that is a fascinating question. Now, I, I somehow felt that I was communing with him. Uh, first of all, uh, Natalie Babel, his daughter and, and, and I were, were very close and we, we did work together. Um, one thing that delayed the project as well was that she kept finding things um, in the attic or you know, in, in, in an old um, uh, suitcase. So there'd be this story and that story that that would suddenly come up. Um, What would I ask him? Actually, I don't know. The thing is that that Babel is a figure of mystery. Um, uh, He had more than one family, for instance, which uh, uh, we don't quite know how things happened, when and how, although books have been written. um, 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 So I wonder, I wonder whether whether it's important that he remain a figure of of mystery, that who's just almost away, away, instead of instead of having him sit with um, a glass of tea as one might have in Russia, you know, slimonum with lemon, and and um, or actually coffee with lemon as well, uh, and have have. um, uh, you know, ask him certain questions. So I'm happier with him with him being being a figure that is that is a figure of mystery that keeps one wondering.
0: And I will say, as a reader, um, the trans it it reads beautifully. I mean, it really does. Um, so thank you for that. And I guess the last question I have is for our listeners and our readers: um, any thoughts on what you would? urge them to consider or, you know, take along with them as they're reading through the work?
1: Yes, actually, one thing that I, I would suggest, I have mentioned that I, uh, I would like, I, I would advise to a lesser or to a greater degree to read around the book a little bit. In other words, see, see what, what it's all about because it's really going to be um, an eye-opener. So even if it just means going onto Wikipedia and, and really reading carefully, you know, what Wikipedia says about the, uh, the you know, the Polish Soviet war, one thing, if you want to take it a little bit further. Um, the uh, the 1920 diary as well is, it would be a good idea to read because there, th- those are the quick jottings of the 26 year old who was there um, and used much of that material or at least experience. Um, uh, which we then see later in in, in the cavalry stories. So I would say if you want more, and if, if you if you're fascinated and want to know what's behind there, the um, the 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 diary is, is interesting. Now that that is in, I think there are two main editions. There there is the one that Willett, Willetts translated. Um, i then did did uh, for the complete babel uh, did um did uh, my translation with uh, quite a few footnotes so 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 it depends you know what, what what if you want to read what's handy and and how deeply you want to you want to go into it now if you want even more then look at the Petersburg, um, you know, the reports from Petersburg where where you see the the, the brutality of his uh of, well the brutality of his realism, I was going to say, or rather his realistic presentation of the brutality around. Um so um depending on how much time you have and 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 what what captures your interest, whether you're interested in the historical or the personal, I think there's a lot that you can you can read around. Um, and maybe the most important key would be the the diary, because it is a key in many ways, and in some ways not, but it's useful.
0: Um, Peter Constantine, I wanna thank you for visiting with me today and for bringing the work to translation. It's been great for our book club members to have an opportunity To hear you speak about Red Cavalry before they begin, or even if they're in the middle of the book. Um, And it'll certainly prompt and inform some uh, ensuing conversations, I hope. Um, For our listeners, quickly to learn about Great Jewish Books Book Club and to sign up to receive our free dedicated book club content-rich e-news with information about more of our book club public programs, podcasts like this, resources, visit yiddishbookcenter.org book dash club. And if you are looking to get a copy of Red Cavalry, it's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and other bookstores. Thank you again, Peter. really appreciate it.
1: Much you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: you have been listening to The shmooze a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.